0: Hello and welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews, we are your hosts Matt Levine
1: and Vincent Hannum
0: and we're talking about all of our favorite monster movies, the good, the bad and the downright campy and asking if they stand the test of time. Traditional Kaiju, creature features, space invaders, the supernatural and everything in between. All strange beasts, welcome here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zack Linder and the Zack Pack powered by Coldwell Banker Realty. Your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients, and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zach Pack on social media and contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. All right. Thanks for hanging out, friends. Uh, Please rate and review wherever you listen. Uh, You can also share Camp Kaiju with a friend. Uh, Finally, please send us your listener comments at campkaiju at gmail.com. Uh, we love, love to know your thoughts. we love to know your suggestions about movies that we should bring into the podcast. Any special events going on in your area, please let us know. Vincent, what's going on at our website?
1: Oh, com is where you can check out past episodes, links to uh, type reviews that Matt and I are coming up with on a fairly regular basis. Um, So that'll cover movies that we don't necessarily get time to talk about on the podcast because, man, there's a lot of good monster movies out there that, you know, we can't we can't always fit into the podcast.
0: Indeed, we kind of ran into that problem when when we were coming up with our um, slate for the second half of 2023. I had a list of like 20 movies that I wanted to talk about, but there's only so much time.
1: Well, now, surprise, surprise, we're trying to get to a more weekly basis Maybe you can squeeze some of those, some of those dark horse titles into the, into the slate. It's very, very possible. Yeah, for sure. All right. So um, the next monster movie that I'm excited to talk
0: about is King Kong. This is playing at the Heights Cinema here in Minneapolis. That's where we record in Minneapolis and Saint Paul. So if you're in the Twin Cities area, Monday, July 31st, check out perhaps the greatest, most classic monster movie of all time, King Kong, which we'll then be talking about here on the podcast.
1: I adore King Kong. I don't think that's a hot take. I think that there are things you could critique about it. Absolutely. Um, And I think that's fair to do. But overall, it is just 90 minutes of monster thrills that holds up completely. Totally.
0: And just like movie magic, I think, you know, I mean, like King Kong and the Empire State Building, it's one of the best images in all of cinema, you know, so... Uh, yeah, it's it's one of the all time best for sure.
1: I would say second to him on the top of the Empire State Building is spoiler alert <laughs> when Kong is dead on the ground and then um the the movie director laments over the beast's body and says it wasn't planes that killed the beast. It was beauty
0: yeah right (laughs) what a classic line and like it's still you know it's surprising how emotionally moving it is even though it's just like a stop motion ape you know it's incredible
1: yeah i think i think that's a great way to end Kaiju life for 2023 um and coming on the heels of our discussion about the original 54 godzilla i think it's great to visit the other iconic uh first origin story of a of a famous kaiju Absolutely, yeah.
0: Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about more monster movie classics in the near future, but but yeah, that one's coming up soon. Actually, it's just playing in a couple days, depending on when you listen to this podcast, on Monday, July 31st. Other movies that we have coming up, uh, we have Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack, one of my favorite kaiju
1: titles of all time. And it's our first venture into the Millennium Era here on Camp Kaiju, so I'm very excited to bring... This uh, this movie of the 21st century to the podcast.
0: I'm super excited. I feel like maybe, you know, we talked briefly about Shin Godzilla and Shin Ultraman in the podcast, so maybe it's kind of linked with that era uh, because they're all Toho Studios, I think, right?
1: They are. Yeah. Yeah. Although Shin Godzilla came after the quote Millennium Era came to an end. Mm. So Shin Godzilla is like its weird own its own thing. Cool. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, GMK, as they call it, right? I This is the lingo that I've been introduced to. Uh, I've never seen the movie before, so I'm really, really excited for that. A um, couple weeks, maybe one week after that, we have uh, a classic in its own way, Starship Troopers. Woo! Cult classic. It's been kind of reevaluated for its satire of, you know, fascism and kind of militarism and other similar themes. You can always count on Paul Verhoeven to have some kind of like wild ideas up his sleeve. So definitely excited to talk about Starship Troopers as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Did you know? Well, you know, because I emailed you, but I was at a Goodwill and I found a two disc special edition DVD of Starship Troopers instant buy.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. What a find. That is so cool. Um, I, I did not tell you this, but I went to Video Universe in Brooklyn Center, right? The last day of its existence. Oh, on the last day? I, the very last day. Yeah. And I bought like... worth of movies. It was awesome. I feel like you're going to kick me off the podcast, though, because not a single one was a monster movie. So I apologize Ah, for that. You are fired. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. Yeah, that's okay. Um, But if we ever want to talk about Kenji Mizuguchi movies, I bought like 10 of them that day. So I'm I'm your guy for that conversation.
1: That's amazing. You talk about him and not that you don't know anything about Kurosawa, but I've been uh, I've been continuing my Kurosawa kick Today. Well, this is a two-part story. So today I finished the Ishiro Honda biography that mm-hmm. I got for my birthday. Long-time fans will remember. Um, and there is... The bond between Honda and Kurosawa as filmmakers continues to surprise me. So Terror of Mechagodzilla was Honda's last feature film as a director. And we know that Honda helped Kurosawa on Ran. But I think there's a movie before Ran... But anyways, that whole late period of Kurosawa's career, Honda was essentially the assistant director on all of those movies. And when Kurosawa was sick or otherwise indisposed, he trusted Honda to just take over and do his thing.
0: Yeah, I love that story. I mean, Kurosawa, uh, you know, commonly considered one of the best directors, certainly one of the best Japanese filmmakers in in the history of cinema. So that's, you know, what better kind of sign of Trust and and talent is there than that you know it's amazing yeah
1: they like hung out they were just like two old men who just like became kids making movies and then they'd go back home and they drink and talk about the good old days at Toho and the studio system and everything uh, yeah it was a really good biography tying all that in with Honda's own renowned works
0: that's awesome I'm glad you enjoyed it I remember you talking about that a
1: while back yeah um. So, anyways, I watched. I'm gonna get to this for a second. I watched Rashomon, Rashomon, yeah, and I watched Akira. And I was, I, I loved Akira. That was like, uh, that was the movie that that is. I'm still thinking about a week later.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely need to rewatch Akira. It's been a long time, but I remember loving it the last time I saw it. Rashomon. I feel like I don't want to say it's overrated, but for me, it's kind of in like, a, it's like sitting up on a shelf of like revered classics. And it's almost like, all right, there's nothing I can do with that. It's like, you know, nothing else I can bring to it. But like, there are a lot of other Kurosawa movies that I have more um, affection for, like Stray Dog, I really love. Dreams from the 90s, I think is really good. Ron, Kagamusha, a lot of his late period movies. So
1: So Dreams is one that was talked about a lot in the Honda biography, because I've never seen it, but... I guess there's some depictions of war and things like that. Anyways, it's not confirmed that, but it's highly rumored that Honda either wrote those scenes or just straight up directed those scenes because Kurosawa's was like, Honda has been in war. I have not. So wow. let him do those those scenes.
0: Amazing. Some of the best parts in the movie too. Yeah. There are like the war scenes and yeah. Wow. That's very cool. Awesome. We're we're getting slightly off track, but I love talking about this stuff. That's great. Um, I don't know if Kurosawa ever did a monster movie per se, but hopefully maybe we'll find a way to bring him to the podcast. <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So much good stuff coming up. Uh, all that and more. So definitely stay tuned. Tonight we're talking about the second Godzilla movie of all time. Godzilla raids again from 1955. Um, I, I chose this one. I guess this kind of connects back to what we were just talking about, like going back to origins a little bit with King Kong and the original Godzilla. Um, you know, when picking movies for this season, I realized that I had never seen the second ever Godzilla movie. And, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for like trying to go all the way through from beginning to end. So it's kind of part of that attempt for me.
1: Um, what's your experience with this movie? Uh, in 2018, summer 2018, I discovered the, uh, on the Criterion channel, that they had all these films available. And I was like, holy crap, I've never seen Godzilla raids again. I watched it. I really enjoyed it actually. Um, upon this most recent rewatch, I think I enjoyed it slightly less now that I'm watching it with a critical eye, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot that I like about this movie. And I think, <laughs> you know, it's easy to talk about 54 Godzilla when it's such An indisputable masterpiece. But it's also fun to talk about movies like Godzilla Raids again, that um, its reputation is less than I think it may deserve credit for. And I find that really interesting.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, We'll certainly dig into that a little bit more later in the episode, as well as a lot of other stuff about the movie. Yeah. Should we dive into the plot? Quick plot synopsis. Let's do it. Cool. Um. Alright, so two pilots for the Kaio Fishing Company, uh, the pilots are named Tsukioka and Kobayashi, are tracking schools of fish off the coast of Japan when they encounter two giant creatures near Iwato Island, Godzilla and an ankylosaurus named Angiris. The pilots then go to Osaka, um, escaping from Iwato Island after the creatures fall into the sea. Uh, in Osaka, politicians and Dr. Yamane, who you might recognize from the first Godzilla movie, are discussing the sudden appearance of these creatures. Uh, Yamane explains that after the first Godzilla was killed by the Oxygen Destroyer at the end of Godzilla, um, this uh, second Godzilla creature has suddenly arisen. And that's we're so we're basically dealing with a separate monster here in Godzilla Raids again. So that title maybe is a little bit of a, a misnomer, you could say. <laughs> But since the Oxygen Destroyer is no longer available, Dr. Yamane does not know how to, de- how to defeat this Godzilla. He suggests issuing a blackout and using flares to lure Godzilla back out to sea, since Godzilla is sensitive to light.
1: This plan seems to work at first as Godzilla moves away from land after approaching Osaka. But then three convicts try to escape during the hysteria, and they crash a truck into an oil refinery, causing a huge explosion. Of course, that sets off a ton of light that Godzilla sees and returns to Osaka, this time with Angiris, and the two of them cause much destruction before Godzilla kills Anguirus in a final fiery blow. In the aftermath, Kaio Fishing Company moves to Hokkaido, where Tsukioka reunites with some old war buddies. Their celebration is interrupted by news that a ship has been sunk by Godzilla near snowy Kamiko Island. Kobayashi and Sukioka take off to defeat Godzilla, along with their war buddy Tajima. Kobayashi is killed by Godzilla, but his death gives the other pilots the idea to bury Godzilla in an avalanche. Sukioka and Tajima, along with the along with the Japanese Special Defense Forces, bombard the mountain with missiles and create an avalanche, finally defeating this second Godzilla.
0: Or do they? the end question mark
1: yeah well uh have you ever seen king kong versus godzilla no but i expect that i will soon i really want to okay well it's the third movie and it does dovetail with the end of godzilla raids again so there's some continuity there
0: cool okay it is like a little bit jarring to learn that like the first Godzilla monster was only in that movie. And now it's kind of like a d- second iteration, you know, yeah. so it takes a little bit of adjusting for a moment to realize what's going on.
1: Yeah. it, it, it it's like, you know, then is Mina, the son of, you know, the son of Godzilla is really the son of this Godzilla. And the Godzilla in the first movie is the grandfather or grandmother i don't or know maybe
0: maybe just unrelated like how many of these yeah. monsters are kind of lingering around out there you know <laughs> right. lurking it's,
1: underneath the ocean it's like a can of worms i don't think they intended to open but now we all can't not think about it
0: yeah exactly yeah this might be a case where like logic wouldn't does not suit us very well maybe we should just move beyond it but but it's hard to do so sometimes So yeah, it's kind of a simple story, but as we'll talk about, there are some interesting kind of subtexts to it. Um, Getting into the crew of the film a little bit, uh, Godzilla Raids Again was produced by Tomoyuki Tanaka at Toho Studios. Tanaka, of course, very well known to Godzilla fans. He produced most of the installments in the series from 1954 to 1995. Um you know, hardly needs more explanation. One of the most legendary Japanese producers of all time, having worked on more than 200 films throughout his career.
1: Yeah. The movie was then directed by not Ishiro Honda, but another director named Moto, Moto Yoshi Oda. Now Moto Yoshi Oda had worked with Honda before, but his reputation at Toho was sort of just another studio director. Um, Honda was not available for the shoot, which happened right on the heels of the first Godzilla uh, because he was already tied up with another project. This was not a franchise at this time. So Honda was not thinking, oh, I'll direct the sequel. He was moving on to a movie called Love Tide. But Oda was hired mostly for his work uh, with B-movies filled with special effects. So he did have some experience his most... Recent of which was an Invisible Man adaptation called The Invisible Avenger from 1954 that had special effects by I.G. Tsuburaya.
0: Who, of course, also did the special effects for Godzilla Raids again and many other Godzilla movies.
1: Um, Have you seen The Invisible Avenger? It sounds really cool. I would love to. No, I I feel like outside of Kurosawa and Honda and others, you know, Ozu and. Naruse, etc. Um, I feel like those these types of movies are not widely available enough. I don't know. I don't know where I'd find The Invisible Avenger by Moto Yoshi Yoda.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about that. I have not done a lot of research on that, but if it's out there anywhere, I would love to find it. Maybe it'll yeah. be on a
1: future episode. Absolutely.
0: Um. So the music in Godzilla Raids Again was not by Akira Ifukube, who what? did
1: the music for Godzilla. I know, sacrilege. All um, my favorite like, dudes are not in this movie, except Subaru.
0: Right. It's a pretty drastically different crew, like a lot <laughs> of different, you know, people behind the camera on this one. Yeah. Um, Ifa Kube is one of my favorite soundtrack composers of all time. So it is too bad that he's not back for this one. But Masaru Sato's music, I, I really like it a lot in this movie. I think it kind of like continues the sort of spare, like half modern jazz, half traditional instrumentation that Ifa Kube used the first time around. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I like his music a lot in this movie. Uh, Sato apparently actually really admired Ifakube and was a little bit like intimidated to like pick up the mantle from him and do the music for this movie. So um, yeah, he was inspired by him quite a bit in the making of this, this, the making of the soundtrack for Godzilla Raids Again.
1: Uh,
0: The cinematography in Godzilla Raids Again is by Seiichi Endo. Um, Not who did the cinematography the first time around, Masao Tamai.
1: Um, yeah, that's that's
0: pretty much it for the crew.
1: And then the cast, we did have some returning faces or at least uh, actors. Haruro Nakajima returns as Godzilla, the man in the suit. But in the Angira suit is an actor named Katsume Tezuka. We also have for our main um, our main leading cast, Hiroshi Koizumi, as Tsukioka, he would later appear in such kaiju movies as Mothra and Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. Satsuko Wakayama as his girlfriend. Uh, rounding out the cast, we also have
0: Minoru Chiaki as Kobayashi. Um, he starred in a lot of movies by, for example, Akira Kurosawa, Koni Chikawa, Masaki Kobayashi, many other great Japanese directors. He was very prolific. We have Takashi Shimura making a brief cameo as Dr. Yamane. He, of course, is another legendary Japanese actor who makes a brief appearance in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yoshio, oh, sorry. No, take it away. Sorry.
1: Uh, Yoshio Tsuchiya as Tajima. He was a longtime actor who loved starring in sci fi movies. When he couldn't be in the first Godzilla because he was shooting Seven Samurai with Kurosawa, he insisted that he be cast in the sequel. He was also in 1991's Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. So I think Seven Samurai and Godzilla Raids Again was shooting at the same time. Hmm. And actors like Tsuchiya would just on their breaks walk over. No.
0: Yeah, I think Godzilla, the first one, was shooting at the same time, right? You're right.
1: You're right. Yeah. And he would just walk over when he was on a break. I love that story. Yeah. Like, whoa, what's this movie? (laughs) (laughs) And he has a quote, too, that
0: like he he starred in a lot of, you know, kaiju fantasy sci fi movies and in a lot of sort of great classics like Seven Samurai. And he has this great quote. I'm, I'm very much paraphrasing here where he's like, you know, I love them both equally. Like, it's great to be in like an all time classic. But, you know, the chance to do something fun like this, like he loves starring in this kind of thing. So I think it's great. Yes. Are you looking for the quote?
1: Well, uh, on our Godzilla episode, I talked about a quote from Nakajima working with Honda. Mm. Um, Man, and I found I found what I was thinking about. And it was a quote from Subaraya actually, um, giving some notes to Nakajima. And wouldn't you know, I seem to have lost. No, wait, wait, wait. Okay. All right, here we go. Honda and Subarai began each day with a brief meeting, then went to their respective corners of the lot. Quote, for a director, the number one problem is vision, how to capture a desired atmosphere and relate to it visually, said Honda. So Subarai's plans were always known to me. When my work wrapped early, I would go down to check on the special effects set, or I would tell him, we've shot this scene from the script today. He would reply, well, that, well, what about that scene's transition to special effects? That's not what I was looking for. I am so sorry (laughs) for reading that. (laughs) That's all right. Okay, okay. No, here we go. Okay, so Nakajima said he went over to Honda and said I saw him and greeted him. He replied just do it well. That's all Honda gave to Nakajima as direction. Just do it well. But then he went to Subaraya, Nakajima, and Nakajima, or sorry, Subaraya said, well, I really don't know either. He told me to make it look like there was a machine inside, meaning They didn't want it to look like there was a person inside the suit. Hmm.
0: I like that story. I like it because like you get the sense that Nakajima really is giving a performance. You know, he's trying to like use obviously his body and like his athleticism, the choreography to like convey the feeling of Godzilla, which I think is easy to forget when you're like, you know, you're watching a guy in a suit. So it's kind of easy to forget that, you know, but that that's a good reminder. Yeah. All right. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> no i love it that's great uh yeah so you know a uh, very impressive cast and crew for this movie um production on godzilla raids again was put into motion pretty much immediately after the first godzilla came out uh in fact um that movie came out in november 1954 only a few weeks later there was a party uh, at the house of toho executive producer iwao mori and at that party uh, Mori told Tanaka to start putting a sequel into production as quickly as possible. They wanted to make sure that they did not miss out on like, you know, capitalizing on the success of the first movie.
1: Yeah, and you get like not knowing that it's a cash grab of a film. It still actually, to me, has that sense. Um, it was a success though. Uh, it was Toho's fourth highest-grossing film in 1955 and the 10th highest grossing film in Japan. It actually got better reviews initially than Ishiro Honda's previous Godzilla. Um, A lot of that was related to the fact that, you know, we talked about last time, that critics felt Honda was taking Godzilla, a monster movie, too seriously with its themes, whereas Godzilla Raids Again is very much just a, a cookie cutter monster movie.
0: Right. And, and I think it's kind of interesting that, like, despite the better reviews that Godzilla Raids Again received, uh, according to Tanaka, there was not a lot of enthusiasm for it from the Japanese moviegoers, um, from the press, which maybe, you know, I, I think he was um, talking about some different critics there, maybe. And, and even like some of the crew members at Toho itself, they did not really seem to have a lot of love for the movie. It kind of really was... Um, you know, a, a quickie production that was made in less than six months after the original Godzilla came out. So, uh, yeah, kind of conflicting viewpoints there a little bit.
1: And I think that's telling that kind of reaction because there wasn't another Godzilla movie for seven years,
0: right? Do you? Yeah, why do you think that is? Because like this one did okay financially, as you as you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, I think maybe it's because of that that more critical consensus from people in the know. Um, yeah, maybe they just or maybe they realized, hey, if we make another Godzilla movie, we're just going to continue to see these diminishing returns. Mm. But Toho would make other monster movies in that seven years. You'd have Rodan, you'd have uh movies called Varen, the Unbelievable, the Mysterians, a whole host of sci fi monsters and aliens. So I don't know. I don't think they just thought they don't. I don't think they thought Godzilla of godzilla as that sort of flagship franchise that it would become
0: right and here we are 70 years later so we know how that worked out yeah <laughs> yeah so uh you know again like godzilla raids again was made very very quickly a couple years later in 1959 a re-edited english dubbed version called Gigantus, the fire monster uh was released released in the united states I, I thought it was kind of interesting that was shown on a double bill with either teenagers from outer space or Rodan. And I can only imagine that Rodan was the vastly superior of those two movies.
1: Yeah. I feel like teenagers from outer space has come up before or maybe something similar. I don't know. We should talk about it someday. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Do you know if that one is like pretty easy to find? I have no idea. I've never heard anything more of it than just at this moment. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> What about what
0: about Gigantus, the fire monster? Have you seen that?
1: No, I don't think we I mean, it'd be interesting to watch it. But if Godzilla raids again is already sort of a mediocre Godzilla movie, <laughs> the some sort of American edit of that doesn't sound very promising to me.
0: Yeah. Like a quick spinoff of a quick spin-off probably is not a very good movie,
1: right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> Uh, well, now is probably a good time to uh, talk about our sponsor for tonight. So Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zack Pack, which is powered by Coldwell Banker Realty. You're a source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients, and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zack Pack on social media and contact the Zack Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. So thank you to Zach Linder and the Zach Pack. And thank you, all all of you out there for listening. Uh, Vincent, do we have anything from Mina's mailbox for tonight's episode?
1: I do. I have from Gary Dansu, friend of the pod. He recently watched the movie 65. It's on Netflix currently. So that's the Adam Driver Dinosaur Space Adventure. And this is what Gary has to say. This is his little review. Quote, I don't think it deserves the hate. It's probably a good Netflix movie to watch with the family. Adam Driver is great as always, and it has some decent thrills, though I was yelling at the TV at the end for them to get to the fucking escape pod and work out their emotional baggage later. I also liked how it was filmed and some of the production design of the alien tech. There seemed to be emphasis on real locations. But it's very, very bare bones. Setting it on Earth seems kind of pointless, and there's almost not enough dinosaurs. But this could easily have been set in the future when they go to another planet. Kind of just a gimmick that it's on Earth 65 million years ago. I thought it might end with mankind evolving from Adam Driver somehow, but that would have made no sense. Thank you, Gary. I agree with all of your points there. And Matt, Yeah, if you got 90 minutes to kill, it's it's not a bad movie.
0: Yeah, I definitely do want to see that. That's actually a good reminder that I still have not seen that. So I'll have to check out uh, check it out on Netflix soon. Uh, Thanks to Gary for that um, brief but informative review. I loved it.
1: Yeah. So some themes now of Godzilla Raids again. You know, I think you can extrapolate some themes from this movie, like 65. I think you could call Godzilla Raids, again, very bare bones. But uh, all that being said, camaraderie, for instance, during the war and reuniting afterwards, there's a real sense of camaraderie with our main characters. It's something I actually liked about the movie. Um, Very working class type of characters, which is in contrast to the first Godzilla, which centers a lot of scientists and military people. You get a nice sense of working class, everyday folks in Godzilla Raids again. Along those lines, I just want to say, uh, after watching the movie Porco Rosso, I paid very much attention to the airplane sequences in Godzilla Raids again. Um, That sort of whimsy and adventure in the air was present in Oda's film.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. But there's I think there's definitely a sense of like melancholy and what has been lost over the years. You know, they're kind of reliving their glory days in the war a little bit. But those glory days certainly were filled with death and loss and destruction and whatnot. Um, So, yeah, it's an interesting like there is the camaraderie. There's the sense of nostalgia and excitement. But also like it's I feel like we're always made very, very aware that the war only happened like less. Well, a little more than 10 years ago, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah and that's where it 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 is a it is an interesting companion piece to the first Godzilla because the direction Oda's direction in a lot of ways sticks close to Honda's with the melancholy and the general aesthetic of you know gritty post war japan things aren't you know all sunshine and roses so yeah i think there's something to be said about that
0: this movie's kind of interesting because at times I felt like it was just trying to portray post-war Japan and all of its sort of like uncertainty and like are we stuck in the past or can we move forward into the future a little bit um this was actually in a review that I found online um it's at the Godzilla project and it was submitted by somebody who just their their name is p v h a e c k e so I don't know what the writer's name is <laughs> but they they kind of make the argument that Godzilla is meant to symbolize, uh, traditional Japan, kind of its outdated mores and like the the code of honor from like the samurai days whereas Angiris is meant to be like the new capitalistic Japan that's kind of rabid and like wants to, you know, be a player on the like this kind of global economic scale and things like that mm-hmm. um, it's an interesting theory I don't know if in this article there's enough to really kind of back that up but I, I like that idea and I think like the movie is trying to kind of show Japan and like a crossroads, you know, like where it's going to go from here on out. Um, And I think there are just like little ways that seem like almost semi documentary, like shots of Osaka at night, some of the like fishing industry Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, Um, that's probably the stuff that I liked best in the movie, getting ahead of myself a little bit here, just because like it seems more interesting and more like um, a product of a particular place and time, you know,
1: I agree. I um, well, I agree, but I'm going to get to that with the things I liked later on. Got it. Sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm too eager. Um, there is a there's a common theme you'll read with this movie, where Godzilla, if if Honda's Godzilla represented the bombing of Hiroshima, then this movie represents the bombing of Nagasaki. I don't think there's anything in this movie that communicates that. I think this movie doesn't dig as deep into those atomic themes as hondas so like sure you could say that but i don't i'm not really buying that as like something to really investigate
0: yeah i kind of feel the same I i read that too and i was not totally convinced by that um you know one thing that i read said that there's like a shot of osaka with like the city in the foreground and like this kind of huge these plumes of smoke and fire in the background and that it was meant to sort of show nagasaki on fire um which is interesting but i feel like well it could also be hiroshima then or it could kind of stand in for like atomic devastation in general so i don't totally buy it but i do kind of like the um the theory i'm I'm pretty much always going to be a fan of like unfounded theories you know (laughs) at least applied to movies maybe not so much in real life (laughs) um yeah so like the the atomic themes are still there I, i totally agree with you that honda goes a little bit more in depth into them but But yeah, Godzilla Raids again does at least pay lip service to the fact that like, you know, this second Godzilla also was probably awakened by the atomic blasts. Uh, It's sensitive to light because a character says it's kind of like a traumatic flashback to when it was awakened by the atomic blast in the first place. So so those themes are here, but they seem a little bit more like surface level in this case, I would say.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: Anything else about the themes or should we move on to the form and aesthetic of the movie?
1: You know, I think uh, I'm okay moving on. I feel like, I mean, I, I that's a fair critique of this movie. I don't think there's a lot of thematic juice in it, honestly. Yeah. Beyond what we've just talked about.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And even the stuff that I liked is, is kind of just like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then it yeah. like moves on to the next scene, you know? Like, <laughs> it's not super in-depth or anything, so.
1: No, I think even, even the generic... Godzilla movies that will come still have more to talk about, honestly, than this movie does.
0: Yeah, I mean, I you know we've talked about a lot of kaiju and Godzilla movies that do, I think, have a lot of thematic depth. I think Shin Godzilla, uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah from nineteen ninety one, The Return of Godzilla, I think, does as well. So
1: Ghidorah, the three headed monster.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. Um yeah, so there is there's not a lot of meat on the bones in this case. Yeah. <laughs> um what about aesthetically or stylistically, how how how's the meat on the bones there?
1: There's more there. I think Oda does like he obviously knows what he's doing and I think there's some especially in the first half of this film I think there's some really interesting visuals that he creates on the camera. I think that And we can jump around with our notes a little bit um, because I don't know if you got this. But for me, um, yeah, again, he's 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 likening himself to Honda's aesthetic as much as he can. You have the flames in the background, the city's on fire, uh, a sort of gritty, scrappy overall vibe, especially in that first half. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mostly mostly this is a different crew, like we said, than the first Godzilla
0: I do think Seiichi Endo's cinematography is a little bit flatter here than uh, Tomai. Is that his name? The cinematographer from the first movie? Uh, Masao Tomai. Like, I, I remember from the first Godzilla, just, like, the low-key lighting, all the, like, shadows and, like, um, sort of harsh, like, pools of light. It looks really interesting and atmospheric mm. throughout the whole thing. And in this case, in Godzilla Raids again, I think it's kind of, like, Flat, high-key lighting. There's a lot of close-ups and medium shots uh, without, like, a lot of dynamism. I think maybe there are a few exceptions. Um, I really love the nightclub scene in Osaka, which is very brief and kind of starts with, like, a crane shot that, like, starts in close on the dancers and then pulls away. Hmm. So I do think there are some exceptions, but overall, I don't think this movie looks as good as its predecessor. And I think, for me, one of the biggest flaws of this movie is it's pretty poorly edited I think it tends to drag there are some scenes that repeat visual imagery like even in the same scene like for example towards the beginning when Suki Yoka is trying to rescue Kobayashi like the same footage of him like circling the island and seeing him on land is repeated at least twice mm. i think three times so yeah i just think like the fact that this was so rushed so hurried they probably didn't have a lot of time to like spend in the editing room you can really feel that from the finished product, I think. Well,
1: you can feel that in so this is a double-edged note for myself for me here that um Shimura in the beginning, he plays a video of the destruction the previous Godzilla had wrought on Tokyo, which is just like three minutes of Honda's footage from that movie, which is like Okay, you are just padding this runtime right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: But to give it credit, it wasn't just like a normal flashback. It was used to tell this story via, you know, a slideshow essentially. But yeah, you could tell that the script it doesn't offer a lot thematically, and it doesn't offer a lot to fully push the the narrative because mm-hmm. it's yeah. just it's just a rush job, a rushed job.
0: Yeah, totally agree with all that, for sure. Um, I do want to mention the things that I liked about it also, though. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, uh, I really love
0: the sets in this movie. Um, I should maybe look up who the production designer and set designer is, but but the sets are really great. There's like a subway set, which looks like it becomes flooded at one point. I really love that scene. And then like the climactic set on I think it's Kamiko Island, which is like the snowy, icy island with all these like mountains on the edge. Uh, really beautiful. I loved the entire setting for the ending of the movie.
1: I agree. I love the snow setting. I think that is like Son of Godzilla. My favorite part in that movie is when it snows at the end. It's just like that's a visual you don't see a lot in these movies. I think it was awesome to see it snow and cold and then Godzilla. I believe Nakajima is actually buried in ice up to his chest there at the end. (laughs) So that's real. (laughs) Hopefully that suit's keeping them warm. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I also read that they got that ice from like a like a hockey rink in Tokyo, which I think huh. is, is pretty cool. Interesting. It's a cool effect.
1: Yeah. What'd you think about the the fight choreography or like how the fights were shot?
0: I thought it was great. I think like there are the, the fights in this are are very intense, kind of, you know, surprisingly violent, pretty exciting. Um there's a story that one of the cameramen on this movie made a mistake. He was supposed to shoot it in slow motion, but instead he shot it at a slower frame rate, which actually means that it's in fast motion when it's projected at like the normal rate. So we have this this shot of Godzilla and Anguirus fighting each other. And it's a little bit sped up. Their movements, you can tell, are like very kind of erratic. Uh but it actually works pretty well. It's not sort of like the kind of ridiculous sped up motion that you might see in like hand cranked silent movies or anything like that. It looks pretty good here.
1: I agree, and it's interesting we like this because it's a common criticism of the film that sort of super sped up combat, which I get, like, it was a mistake. It doesn't fit with the rest of the speed of the movie, obviously, Mm -hmm. but it gave it um, a sort of kinetic energy that I thought paired well with the... And this is another common criticism of the film that I don't entirely agree with, the criticism is that the fights the fighting is boring, it's less interesting, there's not a whole lot going on. I find the fighting between Anguirus and Godzilla very scrappy, very natural, the way two animals would actually fight. A lot of biting, a lot of just pushing and clawing. So in that way I found it pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. I guess I did not realize that the fights were kind of criticized in this movie because I, I think they're, yeah, I mean, kinetic energy is a really good way to put it. You can like really feel like the violence of them. And I think it's also just worth mentioning that like the first Godzilla movie, it's just Godzilla. We don't have any kaiju fights in that one. So like this kind of is the first Godzilla versus kaiju battle. And, you know, going back to the original and seeing how it started and, and and you know, like feeling like the intensity of it, uh, it worked really well for me. Yeah
1: yeah and yeah it's it's fun and i've got to say it again another criticism i've heard i don't know if it's common i shouldn't say that anymore but is that like there's no sense of scale hmm. but yet i was very taken by the sense of scale um and garrison and godzilla are often shown in the with a cityscape in the foreground or like an oil refinery or something so i thought there was a, I I got a good sense of the size of these monsters with the humans running around underneath them.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the miniature set of Osaka is pretty well done. Um, You know, there's the famous scene where Osaka castle is kind of knocked over by them. Like it first starts to crumble a little bit and then they fully knock it over. Um, I thought that was really good. There's a moment when Godzilla's tail just like casually like obliterates a lighthouse. I really like that moment as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I do not share those criticisms and you know, I think another reason that I like the fights in this movie is because the the suit was different. The Godzilla suit was a little bit more lightweight. Uh, Nakajima could move around a little bit more easily in it. Uh, and Aguirre's was a new costume. And they also tried to make that, you know, kind of um, mobile and flexible. So, yeah, I think we see like the athleticism of those two actors slash creatures going at each other. Um, it looks a lot more kind of like free and liberated than the uh, than Godzilla's movements in the first movie, I would say.
1: Right, which are very slow, brooding kind of movements.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah, which worked for that, but that would not work for this movie. No. Um. Yeah, so good
0: good, and bad in the aesthetic of the movie, for sure. Speaking of good and bad, I think we're at the roundup portion of the episode where we talk about the good, the bad, and the campy. Woo!
1: Okay. I'll I'll, I'll take it away if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. All right, I don't know. Just feeling it right now. So I have a lot of good notes about this movie, like um some big ones. I I did enjoy the score. Um, if Oda was doing his best to replicate Honda's spirit, the composer in this film was doing his best to to meet Ifukube's sort of dramatic, eerie um vibe. I love the visual, the picture Oda gave us of Godzilla looking at the flares that were dropped by the airplanes. Mm-hmm. I thought the use of light in that, in those shots were really cool. And when Godzilla's approaching Osaka, I found it very menacing because you just see his head in the distance. And it's almost like a shark. He's just coming closer and closer. And I was like, "Woo, this is, this is good. This is scary stuff. Um, Super eyes effect of filling the subway with the water. Um, did you mention that earlier?
0: Very briefly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll echo you then. That's, that's really good. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much what I got. Barring what I haven't said before.
0: Nice. Yeah. I totally agree with all that. I also feel like I've already talked about most of the things that I loved about this movie, but, um, you know, again, great battles, strong music. Um, I love the sets and, uh, yeah, like I, I think there are like little bits of personality and uniqueness in this movie that you know they don't they don't necessarily hold the movie up they're not enough to like support the entire film but they are like intermittently interesting for sure and i like my favorite part of the movie is when we see these like very dark nighttime shots of osaka which i would assume that's like stock footage from like a documentary that mm. you know oda kind of just borrowed for this movie and then it cuts to a nightclub where the two main characters Hidemi and sukiyoka are dancing together and uh and then like the nightclub um, dancers and revelers find out that Godzilla is approaching and we kind of see their panic grow like at first it's kind of like a happy night and then like all of a sudden there's this chaos and confusion and they're all trying to like storm out of the building and even though we we do often see like you know people being evacuated in these movies I don't think I've ever really seen it so much where it goes so quickly from like happiness and normalcy to like sudden panic you know <laughs> um, so I thought that whole scene was very very effective. Yeah. Uh, I can talk about the bad uh, if you'd like, unless you want to take
1: it away first. Uh, Sure, I guess we can go back and forth. I'm a script guy, and the script doesn't really offer a whole lot. At first, though, you think it does, right? The first time I saw this movie, I was like, ooh, I love this. It's underrated. This is a mm-hmm. gem of a movie. But then my rewatch, I was like, why are these convict characters here? Why... <sighs> why does Angiris disappear? Arguably the best part of the movie he's killed halfway through. And then you're like left with nothing. Really? The last 30 minutes of this movie is not exciting at all. Like they're just kind of flying around Godzilla. They're trying to, trying to find a way to, to kill him, but there's no investment in the characters. So ultimately the stakes are non-existent and, and even the, the final sort of, uh, heroic, um, suicidal death left me just kind of, uh, whatever about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Like, I kind of felt that, like, the time when, like, the movie should start wrapping up and getting to its climax is only when we're starting to meet all of his old war buddies, and there's, like, the scene in Hokkaido when they're, they're all drinking together and, like, getting to know each other again. And it's like, wait a minute, who are these people? Like, I feel like the scene should have actually come, like, an hour earlier, so we have this, like, background of the characters earlier on you know yeah um yeah so the script is not very good i agree with you there it has its moments but but yeah it does seem pretty obvious that this was like uh you know a rush job kind of put into production as quickly as possible um i definitely do think it drags at times and i think the editing is a big reason why um the last criticism that i have which we haven't talked about yet is the character of Hidemi, which is tsukioka's girlfriend she is also the daughter of the head of the fishing company. So um, there's that connection, I guess. But she, there's nothing really to her character. Um, the only thing that we really learn about her is when Kobayashi asks her like how, how he can like get a woman. And she's like, oh, just like buy her purses and watches and stuff. And uh, that's probably not not the best depiction of a, a female character throughout the Godzilla series. So yeah, she's pretty disappointing as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um yeah uh what about what about the campy what do you got uh there was one moment it might have been sukiyoka it could have been kobayashi um when they're flying around looking for godzilla and they see godzilla and they just exclaim son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) and i was like Let's have some mild swearing in my Godzilla movie. Sure, why not?
0: Yeah, it's a nice change of pace for sure. (laughs) It's it just seems like a weird thing to say about this like towering beast, you know? Like, is there no sense of awe anymore? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Ah damn it. (laughs) (laughs) This bastard again. Um, that's a good one for sure. I I think like the attempts at comic relief are not very successful in this movie. Uh, like there's a, like a very awkward kind of running joke where Kobayashi calls himself Mr. Groom. It's kind of what I was just talking about, that he's like desperate to find a girlfriend and get married. So like, it, you know, this is like his reputation as the movie goes on. And the joke is like, oh, how do you get a woman? Ha ha. And it's just, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's I don't know. It's campy at times just in like the delivery of it where like everybody's laughing like at the end of like a G.I. Joe episode or something, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So the the comic relief is not very good in this movie. <laughs>
1: That's what I got for the campy. Yeah. But they're having fun. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe more fun than the viewer is having in that particular moment. Agreed. <laughs> yes. Uh, we are at the part of the episode where we give it a rating. Is it number one? A timeless classic and definitely stands the test of time. Number two, there may be some antiquated moments, but overall it's great and stands the test of time. Number three, it may be historically significant or just fun, but it does not stand the test of time. Or number four, it is not worth revisiting and definitely does not stand the test of time. What do you think about Godzilla Raids again?
1: Well, I'm going to be honest. The ha- the first half of this movie, I was thinking, you know, it's not a classic, but it stands the test of time. But then after Anguirus dies, the movie dies with it. And I thought, you know, it's as much as I can enjoy it. I have to recognize that it is historically significant and has some fun moments. But no, this movie, unfortunately, doesn't stand the test of time. Among the great Godzilla movies.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, you're right about Anguirus. He's one of the highlights of the movie, and he's gone way too soon. Um, for like the small pleasures that the movie offers, there's just like no looking past the fact that this is kind of a quickie rush job. There's not really a lot to distinguish it. Um, so yeah, it has its moments, but it, I would say it does not stand the test of time.
1: Yeah, but it's such a it holds such an interesting place in the franchise, like. It, I think it gets forgotten. It gets kind of under the rug a little bit, it, but it is, you know, it does have its moments, so it is it is worth a look despite all this. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. And I'm glad we talked about it on the podcast because because like you said, it's an interesting sort of like, uh, you know, uh, fork in the road for the series. So that's yeah. It. All right. Thank you all for hanging out. If you liked what you hear, please tell a friend leave a rating and review. And visit CampKaijuMovieReviews.com or Instagram for more monster movie content. We cannot thank you enough. Camp Kaiju is recorded in Minneapolis. St. Paul with theme music by Terrence Jackson and Amenia's Mailbox by Ben Cook-Felts. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zack Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty. Your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients, and residential buyers reach out to the Zack Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zack Pack on social media and contact the Zack Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. And again, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you soon on Camp Kaju. Here's motion picture
1: adventure and excitement to stagger the imagination. The fantastic fire monsters raging out of the flaming bowels of hell. Mighty Gigantus
0: crushing whole cities in its wrath.
1: Angurus screaming its challenge of mortal combat. The Battle of the Ages. Scenes and sights
0: and sensations beyond anything the screen has ever shown.